What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 20 of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts, and today I talked with Aaron Dobos, who is a Melbourne-based engineer, producer, and mixer. Uh, This episode, we talk a lot about his experience as an assistant engineer and all of the things that he learned while he was doing that. Uh, as well as recording things the way that you want them to sound at the time that you're recording rather than fixing it in the mix, as well as getting a mix to sound like a finished song as quickly as possible so that you can easily hear what needs fixing. All that and heaps more on today's episode of What's That Sound? You're listening to What's That Sound? With your host, Stu Watts. What's going on, everyone? This is another episode of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts, and today I'm here with Aaron Dobos. Welcome, Aaron, to the podcast. Hey, man. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. How's your, how's your day been so far? Oh, it's been very relaxed so far, which is nice. Good stuff. Unreal, to the day. unreal. Love to hear it. Well, um, yeah. let's kick it off with a little bit about who you are and what you do in the music industry. Yeah, um... I name's Aaron Dobos. I've I sort of make records and mix records and that kind of thing. Um, been doing it for a, a long time, maybe like 13, 14 years, probably. Yep. I reckon. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, started as an assistant or started as like a work experience kid, and then as an assistant and yeah, yeah, engineering yep. and yeah, yeah. It's sort of now yeah, rent space and sort of freelance it's yeah, yeah sort of the only job beautiful. I've ever had well we'll unpack that shortly but uh before we yeah. do let's let's start let's take it back let's let's um talk about where music came into your life um uh, I must like probably high school I guess sort of listening I used to listen to like tons and tons of music um yeah yeah always been like really into it my family's not overly like my parents are not overly musical but I just kind of, yeah, listen to heaps of music and um, sort of play guitar and that sort of stuff through high school and worked at radio station and yep. yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, sick. Yeah. And so what sort of music were you into back then? Kind of a bit of everything. Everything from sort of oh, like pop punk to like Rage Against the Machine to sort of gangster rap to kind of just yep. anything really. Yeah. Any, yeah. Anything that just hit you and you just stuck yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Kind of just, I guess I just sort of listened to his, like everything that was going on and. Yeah. Yeah. Was I there know. any sort anything yeah. that like you remember sticking out to you about that, that the music that you were listening to or just made you feel good? Um, Yeah, probably just kind of just made me feel good, I guess. That's sort of the mm-hmm. main the main thing, like a lot of my friends were doing that, sort of something to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, and so um, do you remember if there was any kind of analytical aspect to, to listening to your music or was it a lot of just like just taking it in and being a very passive uh, listener? Um, I think init- initially it's probably like just a lot more sort of passive listener stuff and then sort of as I got older and sort of listened to more stuff, it was sort of like – I would sort of be like, how have they done that? Why, what's going on there? Mm. There was sort of some, I remember um, reading some stuff about sort of Dave Grohl and Nirvana and Pink Floyd and things like that. Like I have, yeah, vivid memory of like listening to like 
um, uh, like Pink Floyd LPs and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's just sort of, yeah, as I sort of got older and listened to more stuff, I kind of got more interested in sort of how they did things rather mm-hmm. than the, the things themselves. Yeah, for sure. And was there yeah. like uh, when you were, you know, listening to those things like Pink Floyd and Nirvana and stuff, you know, what what was it that you were listening for? Do you remember? Was there specific things or was it more just like uh, how did they do that in general? Yeah, it's sort of like probably more like the emotion at, at sort of like in high school, sort of the more the emotion of things and how it sort of made me feel, feel at the time and then sort of, yeah, just – as I sort of listened to more stuff, it was like, oh, that sort of vocal is like sounds different to this one or that guitar sounds different to this one or what is that weird noise in the background or that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember if there was like any specific producers or engineers that you were listening to and you're like, that is what I love, that like whatever they do, that's what I love? Um, at the time, probably no. Yeah. But um, looking back... Uh, probably like I probably lean towards more like some producers more than others, I guess. Mm-hmm. So like, yep. yeah, or some, yeah, yep. not, not sort of knowingly at the time. I wasn't sure, sort of yeah. like producer fanboying in high school. Well, I think point, a, a lot yeah. of the thing with, um, especially with those acts that you were talking about earlier is a lot of them were kind of, they had that sound because they had the same producers and engineers and they, you know, the, the record labels would like be like, okay, we want to replicate that with this artist and we'll just hire the same people and do it. So it's not necessarily like, uh, I love that producer. Although these days when we, you know, have access to, you know, YouTube and stuff and we can see behind the scenes of how people do things, we can definitely say that is a producer that we love. Um, but back, back then, I guess it was, yeah, it was a lot more of a, you know, this create this creates that vibe of of what we're looking for. Totally, so we totally. Choose that it's sort of yeah. like I don't know. Was that sort of early two thousand? So it's almost like pre internet. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, just downloading shit off like LimeWire and stuff like yeah. that, and <laughs> yeah. bad MP threes going around yeah. friends groups and things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so then um, talk to us about how you then moved into you know, being an engineer yourself, where, where did that start? Um, I probably got into like sort of thought about it more. So after I finished school, I lived in Europe for like 18 months and sort of did that thing and sort of just thought about, I guess, because over that time I sort of thought about what I wanted to do more and more. And then, yeah, started an arts degree and realized it just really wasn't for me. And then, Mm -hmm. um, moved down to Melbourne and, did a course at SAE for a year and then yep. sort of, for, sort of all just sort of went from there. Um, worked at a studio mm. up in Sydney for a while and kind of got sick of Sydney and moved back down to, to Melbourne and then, yeah, got in with Sing Sing and I'm sort of still here. Yeah, beautiful. So yeah. do you remember kind of what those experiences were like in the early days? Like do you remember, you know, anything specific about it or was there just like a general overall kind of learning phase? In terms of? Uh, uh, just what, just what? like in the early days for school, like, you know, schooling and then, you know, the early spaces that you're working out of. Yeah. Um, doing the course, it was just a bit more, but I didn't really know anything going into that. So it was guess I guess that was a bit, sort of learning the basics of everything, which was kind of nice. And then 
sort of through assisting and stuff, it was really like just learning how different microphones react and how how to work with people, how a session runs, how I guess then it was sort of mixing on boards and that sort of thing, how all these consoles work and how the automation systems work and how um, how studios sort of function as a as an entity in a sense. Yeah, how absolutely. Sort of in how how this thing syncs with that, why this does this and all the sort of yeah. nerdy back-end shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so were to you know. drawn towards that like um, more technical side of things or were you more focused on the people and how to work with people or was it just a combination? Um, I guess when I started at Sing Sing, it was just a bit more I kind of just wanted to be the first person that everyone called. So I was sort of learning how everything works so that when I'm assisting, everything just works and I know mm. every problem that could possibly arise and every little idiosyncrasy of the studio and I can fix everything Mm-hmm. I can sort what, yeah, I can sort of make a session run smoother as an, as yeah. the assistant at that time. And so that was sort of one of my like goals was to yeah, make absolutely. that happen. And then through that sort of, yeah, just sort of working with, there was still sort of, you know, two, three week long sessions at that time. So sort of working with bands and being in the room for sometimes like really, really, really long hours um, for three weeks, you kind of get to see, everyone's different personality at that point. And so like yeah. you sort of really thrown in the deep end in terms of dealing with different psychologies and how people function and how to get the best out of different sort of personality mm. types. And do and you remember that, it just seeing, kind of oozes in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember seeing like commonalities between, you know, from session to session or artist to artist? Was there common threads like, ah, oh, we always seem to have these issues or was it more like completely different every single time? You got to figure out people and, and that's where yeah. you know, your attention is. Personality wise, like there's, it's, everyone's kind of different, but you could sort of tell, um, I guess, yeah, you could sort of tell in the sense that um, if people hadn't ever been to a studio before, there's, they're going to be hung up about these things. If people, you know, if this is their third or fourth record, then they're not really going to be hung up about studio things and vibe things. It's more just yeah. like, can we just do it, please? And I can go <laughs> home. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. And it's just sort of making, yeah, and sort of then you like really, really quickly can pick that up, like first five minutes of a session you can pick up sort of personality types just by talking to people and seeing or even before the session if you're producing and you can go have a coffee with them you'd be like oh okay it's going to be something like this and Mm. it's like really easy and you can sort of put everyone at ease a lot easier that way do you remember that there was like any sort of things that you had a hard time learning at the start you know in the in the first few years was it like i always seem to run into these sorts of issues or was it just a Um, whole bunch of different stuff it was just a whole bunch of different stuff. I think the, at, at first it's sort of like assisting and sort of like the etiquette of being an assistant is sort of such a big deal and mm-hmm. sort of making sure that you're there and you, you're kind of silent in a sense and you just make it work and you kind of converse through the producer or the engineer rather mm-hmm. than, yeah, and you, you learn when to speak up and that sort of thing, which was sort of, yeah. I guess that's sort of the hardest thing to, to learn as an assistant. A lot of people sort of struggle with that like I've had assistance now and it's sort of it's yeah it's still like a bit of a thing it's like yep. you're not running the session mate yeah, just, yeah. just sit back and, and do what quiet. I tell you yeah, yeah. a yeah. little bit <laughs> but yeah, um absolutely 
Yeah. So it's sort of getting that and just learning that you're there to learn and you're there to sort of absorb all this information by osmosis really. And by sitting in on hundreds and hundreds of sessions, you kind of just like, oh, everyone seems to be using these mics on guitars. Why are they using those mics on guitars? Or everyone... Or like, you know, everyone's used a different set of overheads this week or this month. Like what's what's going on there? And so like when you start to engineer your own sessions, you can you work you sort of like, oh, I really liked when this guy recorded this and he used these things, so I'll just do that. And you sort of start as a bit of like a monkey see, monkey do kind of vibe. And then you start sort of working out like why things are done, why they chose those microphones, why they sort of ran the session the way they did, as opposed to because that's way more important than the microphones they chose is sort yeah. of the, is the, is the what they were going for and the the thought process behind that is like way more it's something way more to know than like oh they put up U47 on the vocal sick like why did they do that that's sort of yeah. way more important yeah absolutely and i can imagine working with a whole bunch of different people would have been so valuable to get kind of those little insights and you know just like seeing the, the way different people talk to people or, you know, like put people at ease or, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, choose, choosing certain things for certain, certain times, that would have been invaluable just to, to add to your own arsenal. Um, I love, I love the sound of that. I didn't, I didn't myself get to have an assistant position anywhere. I kind of just did my mm. own thing for a while. So yeah, I can imagine how valuable, do you have any kind of like advice for anyone that wants to go through that assisting route? Like what, what do you just suggest that they do? Yeah. Talk to studios or producers that you like, call people like yourself, call people like me, people like other people we've had on the, the podcast and, and sort of um, commercial studios and, just sort of see if the positions are around. Like a lot mm. of the time there's sort of, you know, budgets are sort of pushed a lot of the time. So sometimes, you know, you might be doing things for free the first time, but no one, a lot of the people like myself and a lot of other people I know don't really like having people that work for us for free for too long. Like, you know, the first session, you sort of a work experience kid. So yeah, that's, I guess that's sort of reasonable, but anything after that, you sort of taking the piss a little bit because we've mm. all, all been in through that where, you know, we've worked for free for, you know, six months or something sometimes. Yeah. And it's just sort of, yeah, it's yeah, not and a I think, way like, to keep it's people important. in the industry. It's important as well because you, you know, you, it, it makes you more professional when you're, you know, doing things for favors as opposed to doing things for money. You know, it's like, okay, well, definitely these, this people's money is important to them. Their time is important. Mm. I don't want to waste that. And it kind of forces you to put on that professional hat and, and take things a little bit more seriously as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Nice. And so let's get into kind of more specifics of the stuff that you've worked on. Um, you know, mm. some of the, um, some amazing artists that you worked in the first time I heard of you was when you were working with series. I love all the series stuff that you did yeah, um, with they, them. Such an incredible band. Yeah. The best, the best people and such an incredible yeah. band. Yeah. I was lucky enough to, I used to, Frankie was uh, the drummer in my old band. Um, and oh, so that's awesome. how I knew them. Um, and he joined series like at the same time that he was still in the band. So I was, I was close <laughs> I, with yeah, them I back it, then. At one point he was playing in about four or five bands, I think. So yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he gets around. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a bloody legend. I love those dudes. Um, and, yeah, like obviously some mixing work that you've done, you know, um, you know, you know all, all the different stuff that you've done. It's like some crazy artists. Like Av- Avalanches was, you know, engineering. You know, you've done Squid Fishing, Zach, Zach Leo. You've done Angus and Julius. Don't like – these are some these are some you know really really well known artists around around Australia. So talk us through you know where did those uh, opportunities arise? You know was it osmosis? Was it people you knew? Um, talk us through that. Yeah. So I guess things like the avalanches was sort of um, people I knew. So their um, general mix engineer. Tony Espy is a friend of mine and I was assisting at the time and he sort of got me in initially as an assistant and sort of ended up, yeah, sort of engineering a lot of stuff on that album, recording vocals and things like that. Um, people, was it series? I think, I think I hit them up like way, I was, yeah, way, way, way back. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, we ended up, yeah, meeting up and getting on and making a record and then making another record yeah, um, and a few other random bits and pieces and mm-hmm. yeah a few other it's sort of like a few things have sort of come through sing sing a few things or being associated with sing sing a few things have sort of come through word of mouth um yep other things just like completely random yeah and so does yeah. your approach from you know from project to project change um do, do you like to have you know especially obviously if you're producing and stuff like that, is there a lot of pre-production, those sorts of things? Is there a lot of pre-recording chats? What does that look like for you? It, yeah, so it really depends on the project. It depends how involved I am as a producer, if I'm more sort of executive producing or if I'm more like really in there getting my hands dirty or if I'm sort of producer in, yeah, sort of more of a co-production kind of thing. So yeah, they're sort of, it sort of depends. Like a lot of things, um, like series and squid fishing and a, lot, a few other bands like that, we'd have like a couple of like recording sessions beforehand. If it just like, mm-hmm. I'd take a rig out to the rehearsal space and we'd record things and go through things and mm-hmm. sort of workshop stuff in the rehearsal space. And then there's um, sessions where we're just sort of meeting up and having coffee and running through demo notes. And then yep. other times it's almost like, yeah, we've met up, but then sort of working stuff out in the studio in a mm-hmm. sense. So Do you yeah, have a so preferred method or is there like a, a specific way that you recognise that works the best or is it more dependent on the, the people that you're working it, with? It's really dependent on the people I'm working with. I guess I think a lot of the time it's if, – if it's the first time I've worked with a band, I'd sort of like to at least catch up with them a couple of times before we go in the studio, whether that's for a single or whether it's for an EP or an album or something, just to sort of – yeah, sort of get to know them a bit better so that when we're in the studio, it's sort of more matesy than, yeah. than like client, um, yeah, relationships. So that sort of thing. And then you could sort of work out like, um, yeah, what they sort of want out of the album mm. or the, the song, which I think is really important because at the end of the day, sort of my job, whether I'm like just pressing record or mixing things or producing things, it's sort of like making what they hear in their head a reality. That's yep. sort of like the job and Mm. so working out whether they hear anything in their head or whether that's something that I can do or whether it's whether we need a studio whether we can just do it in my space whether we need to get Mm. other musicians in whether it's sort of what sort of is involved in making this thing that they want to make 
Right. And when it comes to like sonics and, and things like that, you know, your diversity is something that sticks out to me. You know, you've worked on, like we've said, like, the, you know, the emo punk sort of stuff like series, but then mm. you've done, you know, some more kind of stripped back poppier sort of stuff. But what I've noticed is that all of it sounds really organic and true to life. And it's, is that a real focus of you when you, um, you know, uh, talking with an artist, like how do you how do you obtain what you want that final sound to be like? Um, I'm like big on recording it how you want it to sound. So like I, yeah, I think I feel like once you've pressed record, it should kind of sound like a record. Mm-hmm. Minus like you know, unless there's going to be ten guitar overdubs and an orchestra on top of it that you're obviously not going to record live. But when they sort of come to have a listen, whether um, we're recording out in a church somewhere or whether we're in an actual recording studio, it should sound as close to a song as possible, as quickly as possible. And Mm -hmm. that sort of informs every other decision Mm -hmm. that you make down the track and sort of keeps that organic live kind of feel to it. Whether we replace everything in later is sort of an irrelevance at that point because it's all being recorded live and there's that feel sort of embedded in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, is that, is the reason for that is so the, the client gets an understanding of what it's going to sound like already or like what's, what's the main purpose of that? Um, it's sort of for me as well. Like I don't really just want to listen to drums or just listen to it. Like it's, boring yeah (laughs) Um, yeah yeah, like and it sort of has no relevance on its own if I'm just listening to a drum track it's like cool this could be the coolest sounding drum track ever but I don't know if the kick pattern works with the bass I don't know if the snare sound works with the guitars I don't know if there needs to be that much room I don't know if there needs to be if we're in the right room I don't know all these things I don't know if the symbols are too bright unless it sounds like a band or if it's a band unless Mm. it sounds like what as close as possible to what it's supposed to sound like at the end. I love it. You sort of like, you sort of doing things back to front in a sense. And if it sucks, just do it again. Yeah. Like if, if you make the wrong decisions, if, if the guitar is too distorted, if you don't like it, if you mess it up, just, just do it again. Yeah. And obviously we've got the flexibility to do that with digital now, but it's like, it's it's a cool point. And I don't think a lot of people would necessarily have the confidence to do that or, you know, the ability to recognize, Hey, this isn't just, this just isn't working. Let's, let's, let's go back to where, like back to the start and try and get the actual right sound. I I didn't do that for the longest time and yeah. And I would try to polish turds for, and roll them in so much glitter and it just, yeah, and it's just like there's a point where you're not actually making anything any better or you, you're making the best version of that version. Yeah. But that version might not be the best version. And so, so you're going do, like as hard as you can. How do you yeah. approach, like how do you know? Like what tells you when something isn't right? There's generally like a, oh, like it feels weird. Like there's something that doesn't feel right. And it might not happen when you've recorded it. You might get to like recording keep of vocals on it and be like, actually, this sucks. <laughs> or like, this isn't, this isn't like there's bits here that shouldn't be here or we've like, it's the wrong tempo or things like that. And it's sort of being able to do that earlier and earlier is like a, yeah. a good thing. Yeah, obviously that comes with experience points, the more you work yeah. on stuff. And- 
But there's been yep. points. I just finished a record for a band called Big Words and there's like one song on that that we completely redid mm-hmm. because they're like Will and Kieran, Will especially is like a perfectionist and sort of lived and breathed that album. And mm-hmm. yeah, there was a point where it was like, hey, I'm not into this. And I'm like, no, no, we've like never really been into it. Like or like the first time we recorded it, we were like, this is, it's good, but it's not great. Mm. 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 And so like, yeah, so we just re-recorded the whole thing. Yeah. And we're in a position sort of financially where we could do that, which was sort of lucky. Yeah, well, but, that's, that's handy. And I think that yeah. what, you've, what you've pointed out um, that sticks out to me is how important the communication side of things is. Definitely. If you weren't on good terms with that band or you even just hadn't unpacked the relationship enough, you wouldn't be able mm. to say something like that. Hey, this feels like shit. Like let's fucking yeah. do it all again because it'll end up in a better product. You know, without that communication, without that relationship, you might insult them. Whereas, you know, when you're good, it's like, yeah, no, I trust you. I believe that what you're saying is yeah. the right thing. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, the, the relationship thing's really important and I'm sort of a big one on not uh, saying things are great unless they actually are, which mm-hmm. is, like, really important, I think. So, the, so when you speak up and when you say something, it, it sort of carries weight. Mm-hmm. So if someone does a shitty vocal take, don't, don't say it's amazing. Like, yeah. Because then when, you, when it is amazing and you say it's amazing, they, it's sort of like you know, you've done 10 takes. Why have you done 10 takes? You said the first one was amazing. Like, yeah, exactly. And it wasn't. So, so being able to sort of, yeah, being quite not sparse, but being, um, yeah, being, knowing when to, to say things is really important in that sense. Yeah, that's huge. And then, so when it comes to, you know, difficult topics that you might have to have with artists, like how do you deal with that sort of like adversity or like discomfort, you know, whether that's an interpersonal thing or whether it's the subject matter that you're making or mm. anything like that. How do you deal with those sorts of uncomfortable conversations? Um, if it's sort of a musical thing, at the end of the day, like it's not my record and I'm probably like as much as I might love doing the album, I'm probably like I might listen to it once. Mm-hmm. Like I'm probably never going to really listen to it again. Mm-hmm. So it's not my album and it's taken me like a really long time to get to that point where it's like at the end of the day, like it's not my name on it. I'm not in the band. It's not my album. So like if there's something that I'm unsure about but the artist is like in love with, then that takes precedence. Unless I can explain and bring them around to my sort of way of thinking, it's sort of mm. it's they get veto. Mm. In that yeah, yeah. sense. And that's sort of where being quite um, careful with what you say and how, how, when you say ideas, if you're just throwing, like scattergunning, throwing shit at the wall all the time, they're not going to have any idea or they're not going to know when you're, when to actually back you in. Right. And when you're Great ready, point. when you're willing to back yourself in, like what you sort of have to choose your hill that you're going to die on. Yeah. Every now and then on an album. And it's sort of, yeah. I love that. That's whether a, that's that's a fantastic like point. The temp, whether that's like the tempo or like a guitar part that, or things like that, there's sort of like, you know, every song has its own little hill and you have to, and if you're, yeah, you have to decide whether it's something you actually care about because it's the artist's album. 
Yeah. And so yeah. that sort of takes precedence in that sense. In regards to personal things, I don't know. I'm still a bit shit at it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's where sort of becoming friends with them helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, for sure. Because like then it's just like friends having a chat. And I guess if it's sort of still, I guess it all sort of comes back to the music at the end of the day and that's sort of where it's like it's not my album. So mm, yeah, you get veto. And it's never yeah. like a personal insult at that point. I've, I've tried to get better and better and not taking things like that personally. Yeah, well, I think it's an important point is like if you're viewing everything through the lens of at the end of the day, this is about the actual song and the recording and the album mm. and stuff, then that definitely makes those conversations easier because you can look at it from an objective perspective rather than yeah. being personal and like, yeah, you're right, it's not our record, it's it's theirs and, and they're the ones that are super emotionally attached to it as much as we, like you said, might like the album. I'm just, I'm just literally copying what you said. It's like... It is so true though. It's like we're, we're not as emotionally attached to those music, to those words no. as the artists are. Yeah. yeah, all the things they went to to get to that point in the lyrics or the, or the song or, you know, maybe it was a heartbreak. Maybe it's their first album where they've literally been writing it for 20 years. Like yep. all those things, it's sort of I'm a blow-in. Mm. It's mm. And as much as I try to like emotionally invest in the album, it's, it's not my album. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Let's let's talk more specifically about your, you know, uh mixing process and, and and things like that. So talk us through some of the different ways that you might approach working on someone's record, whether it's okay, let's start with, you know, you haven't actually done production or engineering on that album and you get it as mm -hmm. a mixing job. Let's talk through that sort of process. So the first thing I do is I'll tend not to so I'll set up the sessions either at home or at the studio and just sort of have a quick listen through, make sure everything's there, sort of play the rough mix, make sure that everything's in time and everything lines up. Yep. And if it does, that's cool. And I'll do, you know, maybe it's one song, maybe it's five songs, maybe it's 10 songs. I'll try and set up as many as possible so that I'm not setting up songs and then just going straight into mixing them mm -hmm. because that sort of just does, yeah, I don't think it's a good use of your headspace. Because you're thinking about other things when you're supposed to be sort of thinking creatively in a sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, import my mix template and then pull all the faders down to zero and then listen to the ref, see which thing's kind of important. And then generally, if it's like a really big vocal song, I'll pull the vocal up, make the vocal sound good and then pull it back down and then start on something else and... Mm -hmm. Make sure mm -hmm. there's an interplay with the things that are important, whether that's the guitar and the vocal or the drums and the bass and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then generally, mm -hmm. like, I'll end up starting with the drums. But if I've already got sort of a vocal sound there, I can just pull it up and when I want to hear that. And I sort of have that space taken care of and it's sort of just sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I like to work really fast. Like, I want, to, I want it to sound like a song in three or four hours. I want it to be pretty much done. Yeah. To the point where, yep. to the point where I can, like, the, the rest of the time I'm just twiddling knobs that no one's ever going to notice. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of want it done in three or four hours. Beautiful. And then I'll have a break yeah, and cool. then listen again and then maybe do another one. Yeah. Yeah, was there any kind of things that you learned over time that helped you to get to that quickness or were you always working that fast? Um, No, no, I was really slow and shit for ages. Um, I think it's just trusting your instincts because generally – like I've found like my first instinct is 
more often than not the right one. Mm. And definitely in mixing is like getting references, like huge thing. Like the amount of like, I still do it where like I'll start a mix without get like the band having sent me a reference and then they'll send me a reference when I'm done and I've like just taken it somewhere completely <laughs> wrong. And I'm like, yeah. oh fuck, I have to do this again. Yeah. Start from scratch. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, getting a Spotify playlist or getting a bunch of artists that you should listen to and then just yep. while you're setting up the song or the morning, just put it on and just listen to things so that your headspace is kind of there. They're like, oh, I really like Dua Lipa's vocal sound or I really mm-hmm. like this St. Vincent guitar thing or like the drums mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. or rah, rah, rah. And it might be like a whole scattergun idea of things, but it all kind of leads you somewhere. You're like, oh, okay, they're like this kind of tight drum thing. And they're like kind of distorted guitars and they, they want the guitars kind of, they want the vocals sort of like right there and it doesn't move yeah. and things like that. It sort of all leads somewhere or it's like, oh, it's this 60s thing and the drums kind of aren't really there and it's sort of like a flabby bass and mm. rah, 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 rah. So it's sort of like you you get in the headspace of what you're trying to do and then flicking constant. I like to have a, I got a monitor controller where I can flick through several different mm. inputs and sort of listen to things like mm-hmm, super mm-hmm. quickly. So I'll just have like um, title running like the playlist yeah. that they've sent me or like a few things just sort of running constantly. Yeah. Or if it's just one thing I'm working on, it might just be a song that's mm. sort of just on repeat and I'll flick to that constantly. Yeah. I love it. And just sort of reference. And another thing that I like to do on that, and it's more production when you're actually with the band in person is having Spotify open at all times. So anytime that someone mm. says something, as soon as they say that artist or that, that song, drag it into that reference playlist so that you can reference yeah. and later. And you might have heaps to go off or whatever. Oh, that yeah. might be overwhelming, but that's a good thing because you can actually pinpoint, I, I remember they wanted that specific guitar tone in this song. And you might keep a separate totally. notes um, thing open and write that in. That's an extra level. I don't do that, but, you know, it might help. It might whatever helps yeah. get to that end pro de- product and you know having the references in mind so that you can not steer the ship in the wrong direction Definitely. like you were saying you're sort yeah. of creating like a sonic mood board and you're just sort of mm-hmm. yeah it's just something to sort of reference yep. constantly which helps sort of yeah make it happen quickly Hey, thanks so much for listening so far. There is plenty more to come, so don't go anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors. So if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support, you can send a donation to the PayPal link, paypal.me slash what's that sound. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it. All right, so yeah, tell me how that uh, sort of differs to stuff that you might have worked on yourself if you've done production or engineering on an album that you're about to mix. What what are the differences there? Um, probably more in the amount of work I have to do, I think. So sometimes sort of when people send you things to mix, there's a lot of uh, almost like re-engineering mm. you have to do to sort of make things sound the way uh, you want them to sound or they they sort of need mm. to sound. Um, yep. Whereas I find if I've recorded, I kind of know where I'm headed, like mm. from almost from like the choice of microphone to the choice of guitar or the choice of amp, there's sort of, there's a path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, so everything informs everything else in that sense. Yep. So I've chosen this mic because I want it to do this, which means I have to do less in mixing 
because yeah. it's already doing what I want it to do. That's it, yeah. And so the more yeah. I've done, the more I've done this, I've realized it's like uh, the most important part is like the front end. Yeah. What guitar you're playing, what amp you're playing, what drums you're hitting, other drums in tune, and then it sort of just gets less and less important after that. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And I've, <laughs> I've, I've found like when you get stems from other artists or other producers or something like that, there's kind of in some way less of an attachment to how it sounds and you can manipulate things a little bit more to get mm. it to where you want it to or where the artist wants it to be anyway. So it's like once we've got it yeah. ourselves in the recording process, it's like, no, this is how they want it to sound. So it's like it's a much smoother process yeah. to get it to that end, end place anyway. So, yeah. And you also have less emotional attachment to that bit that took like an hour to get. Yeah. Then it was a fucking <laughs> yeah. disaster to record. Yeah. You have less yeah. emotional attachment to it because you don't know how much it hurt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to get exactly. there. Yeah. So you might just mute it. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> or, and yeah, you might be real savage with stuff. Yeah. And that you might not have been on on a production that you've been in since like yeah, the absolutely. day yeah. Do you have some um, favorite elements that you like to work on in the track? Is are you a drums guy, vocals? Um, What's yeah, probably like drums and vocals. Yeah, probably mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, drums because you're always always trying to make drums sound better. Mm. Even if you're like at the end and you're about to print the mix, you'll listen to it. You'll be like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. And it's just, yeah. it's just constant. It's like, is this snare drum too cracky? Is it too loud? Is it too yeah. dougie? Is it like, do I like it anymore? Why is the kick so loud now? Like it's sort of this yeah, yeah. constant thing throughout the mix. And it's such yeah. a huge instrument yeah. that it takes up everything. It does. Yeah. So it's sort of something that you're always, you're always kind of tweaking. You're always yeah. fiddling with something. Yeah, and yep. vocals because like no one really cares if the vocals suck. Like mm. no one will care about the song. That's like yep. that. That's it. That's what people listen to something for. That's where the emotion lies. A lot of the time, it is in the the vocal delivery and the vocal performance and the vocal sound. Yeah, and you can take something that's sort of kind of bland and average and make it incredible, which is like a really nice feeling. Absolutely. And so, how do you know when something's done then? When I'm just like staring at the screen and I'm like, I don't know anymore. (laughs) Just sort of, yeah, when I'm just like, when I've listened to it five times in a row and I've done nothing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, look, that's probably, that's probably it, I guess. And because I like to work really fast, it's sort of, it's just like you kind of reach that point really quickly. Mm. And I heard, I heard someone say something. It's like, um, it doesn't matter if it's wrong. If you get there quickly, you know, it's wrong quicker. Right. That's like, cool. So, so just do it and just back yourself. And yeah. then if it's, if you need to tweak it later, then, you know, I might not send it to the artist when it's done. I might mm. wait two days and pull it up again and listen to it at home or listen to it on, my, on a run or like when I go for a walk or if I'm on the train or something like that, I might listen to it and be like, oh, actually, nah, not in love with it. And then go mm. back and tweak. Yeah. But I think some really important yeah. points there, like, one being the get there fast because you can't, like you said, you can always fix things later. I think it's really important to move through a song and and like you said, you love to get it sounding like a, a song as quickly as possible. But even for people that might be just starting out, it's mm. it's it's more important to get everything there 
rather than going, yep, this is the drum sound I want for 10 hours. Yeah. Get it there quicker definitely. and get the song sounding like a song, even if it's not the finished mix, get it to that point quicker yeah. so that you can go, I can easily hear what needs fixing. That's, that's the first great then, point. Yeah. Go on. Then, you, then you're working on emotion at that point. Mm. It's a song yeah. and then you're working on emotion, which is sort of yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, and the other the other point that I liked was don't necessarily just send it as soon as you're done. Take that time to approach it from different headspaces, you know, work on something mm. else and then come back to it, listen to some really great music that you love, then come back to it and go, what am I feeling now? You know, like you said, using obviously different headphones, different speaker s- systems or anything like that. They're the obvious ones. But mm. I think more emotion and taking yourself out of that feeling that you had when you were mixing it is a, is a big thing because then you can be less uh, attached to it and be like, no, what what stands out? Definitely. You're able to see the forest for the trees in a sense. Yeah. Like you can take back and be like, okay, how, how does this work as a song? Yeah. I, do, I don't hear the, the the hours I spent tweaking this kick drum or exactly. faffing around with the guitar automation or something. It's just like, how does it feel as a song? What was it missing? What does it have? What do I need to give it? Yeah. And that's yeah. a good thing too for production, I think, is like, you know, if you're working on multiple s- songs with a band, it's like, let's just park this for a bit. Let's work on something else. And then if we feel like when we come back to it that we need to add something, we've got that perspective on it. Um, that's also yeah, something that's really cool. So let's, uh, let's, let's get nerdy. Let's get specific about gear and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. I always like to unpack what your favourite bits of gear are and why. So let's yeah. start off with some of the bits of hardware that, you, that you're enjoying uh, using at the moment. Um, so I've got a, I guess I'm just lucky. I've, I've acquired a little bit of gear over the time I've been doing it. And um, I've got one, I, I've got a retro 176 compressor mm-hmm. that I adore. Mm. And I sort of use that on a, like most things. It sounds incredible. It's one of my yep. favorite. It's the first nice compressor I ever bought, and it's uh, yeah, first nice bit of kit I ever bought, and I, I love what, it. It's, what is it's it incredible. about that compressor that is special to you? Um, it just sounds amazing. It does this thing with the top end that I can't get anything else to do. It you can, it's pretty transparent. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. It's, it sounds amazing. It does does everything yeah, yeah. I wanted to. It um yeah has sort of a nice EQ curve as well, which is cool. Yep, beautiful. And, and then, uh, um, what about yep? Yeah. Going. Oh no no no! What, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say like let's. What about microphones? What are some of your favorite you know microphones that you um, like using? So yeah, this microphone I'm using is a Lomo nineteen A nineteen, which is a Russian tube microphone from the sixties. That um, never heard of it. <laughs> I oh, I've wanted one for ages. This producer, I kind of yeah, love his work. He was really into one. Um, yeah, I've wanted one for years and I, I managed to find one pretty cheap during lockdown. So Beautiful. I bought it and it didn't work and I got it fixed and now it works. And <laughs> Sick. Um, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, um, fantastic. But other than that, like what else do I use? I've got a – depends what I'm recording really. Yeah. This thing sounds amazing on vocals and the most sort of acoustic instruments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I use this a lot or, yeah, it really depends on, on what I'm recording. True. Any other yeah. bits of hardware that you can't live without? Um, I bought a, a Trinov, 
which is a like room correction computer. Ooh, it's, nice. I bought a Trinov ST2 Pro, and it's probably the best piece of thing kit I've ever bought. Unreal. It is amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's sort of like a room correction thing, but it's a standalone computer, and it does phase correction and uh, EQ and all this other weird black magic shit, and it sounds incredible. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I literally can't live without that. Yeah, beautiful. That's sick. <laughs> yeah, I um, had the, the loner rig and I was like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, i got to buy it now. Damn it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, moving on to software. Um, first of all, which uh, DAW do you use? Uh, Pro Tools. Yep. Yeah, sort of always use Pro Tools and just I guess I'm stuck with it. I know it inside out. 10,000 yep. hours thing I can I yeah yeah just yep. just works for me yeah. yeah 100% 100% and it's I mean mm. by the sounds of things all the different uh places that you've worked out of and engineered and assisted and stuff they I'm I'm guessing most of them were using pro tools yeah all kind of big studios will run pro tools and like a few yeah. of them will run logic and stuff and um I don't know they're all the same really yeah like, yeah at the end of yeah. the day they all they all record things and you can mix in them like whatever works yeah i'm not sort of a a, yeah a bolted on (laughs) no yeah fair enough boy of anything so just like whatever makes it happen yeah that's it that's it and what about plugins wise what what are some of your go-tos i guess let's start with Um, uh, compression on in in the box ah in the box what have i been using i would use the distressor plugin from uad a bit the uh the 1176s from uad a lot yep. of them um a bunch of the like harmonic stuff from the plugin mm-hmm. alliance bundle like yeah. the, the black box the hg2 thing yep. and yep. the fills cascade i use that quite a bit yeah um yeah and then I'll, I'll use like a lot of channel strip um compressors so like the ssl channel from brainworks or um yep. the focus right channel or things like that like mm-hmm. just sort of mm-hmm. use the compressors on that just because yep. I don't know, it sort of came up using like boards and things, and it was just mm. easy to use the compressor, and they sound great the way they react. Yeah. I know the way they react and what they do, and all that. Well, sort that's of thing. it. And, and again, your your stuff sounds very musical. It sounds very like you know, it sounds like a band. You know, it sounds like yeah, a band in a room. You're hearing the songs. You're hearing everything. Intelligibility is obviously a big part of that, but at the very least, it's like it sounds like you know, the drums sound like drums. The guitars don't sound mm. like, you know, choppy, you know, stuff that actually yeah. sounds like a computer, you know what I mean? So yeah. those channel strips and stuff allow you to achieve those sorts of sounds really easily, yeah. Yeah, like fab filter on everything basically and then, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, yeah, I remember listening to someone or someone told me years ago it was like if you want it to sound better, subtract it if you want to sound different, add. So... Mm-hmm that's sort of like I'm yeah it's sort of that I'd take that philosophy into into sort of plug-in choice and mixing yeah, beautiful. And all that sort of thing and same thing for EQs you're mostly using channel strip EQ yeah lots of channel strip EQ lots of um it depends what I'm, I'm kind of going for um so sort of like surgical stuff fab filter yeah if it's sort of or like soothe that sort mm-hmm. of dynamic EQ thing um yeah if it's sort of 
vibe things or sort of lean more towards sort of like the like the 1081 from UAD or like the 1073 from UAD or mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of stuff or if I want sort of a more mid-rangey thing maybe like the SSL channel or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. an API it's yeah depending on what I kind of wanted to do sign of yeah for sure yeah any other uh, desert island plugins that you again can't live without um now like it's this plugin called um, the Sunset Sound Rooms. I think IK Multimedia make it or something. I'm not sure. Right, or right, T-Rex. right. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah and that's it's okay. Yeah, the most incredible reverb ever. The rooms are amazing. It's got like a plate, a couple of plates, and a spring, and they sound incredible. And it's got yeah, chambers, sick. and it's it's super low DSP, and it just sounds amazing. Yeah, that, I, that's I, that's awesome. I literally use that on every every single session, like multiple times now. So I don't think I could live without that. Yeah. And probably sound toys, I guess everyone says sound toys. So Yeah, yeah. true. (laughs) (laughs) Reverb for me has always and I think will forever be the hardest uh sonic uh aspect to any mix. And definitely to find the right reverb, especially from song to song, artist to artist, it is a constant struggle just to find a reverb that works. So to be able to find one that you know, that works for you across the board for a lot of different things. Like look for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I might not use, like I use room emulation a lot. Mm -hmm. Like um, I think that's sort of part of the thing, making it sound like a band. It's sort of Mm -hmm. everyone's Mm -hmm. in the room eventually. So whether it's the same room for things or different rooms, Mm -hmm. it just Mm -hmm. kind of gives it a space that's not cluttery, I guess. You can kind of put a guitar just in the back where you can, to make it sort of sound a bit more like it has a space mm-hmm. or it mm-hmm. exists in a space. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it, man. Was there any other kind of workflow um, things that you noticed over time apart from templates and things like that? Was there any software-related workflow things that you wanted to point out that made your process really fast? Um, lots of like parallel compression I use a lot. Um mm-hmm. The Isotope mouth declick plugin that yep. like changed my life. Yeah, that's yep. like that's on everything. Like every that's on my vocal preset channel yep. preset thing. It just yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's kind yeah, of so, yeah, yeah. Probably nah, good. Wise, that's what do you find um, kind of overarching over the whole, you know, producer engineer hat. What do you find mm. are some of the most difficult things in general about being a producer engineer? Um, one, the business side of it mm-hmm. is something that no one really teaches you. Is like you're effectively like running a business mm-hmm. and that's like yep. really difficult mm-hmm. because for like the longest time I sucked at it and I was like constantly broke and it was shit. Mm-hmm. And so once you sort of sort that out and you're like, oh, okay, I have to get my life in order. Yeah. Maybe that's part of growing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually yeah, being absolutely. a fucking adult. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Once you kind of get that sorted, that, that's sort of the main thing because that breeds so much stress and breeds so much other like heartache that um, that, yeah, makes everything else suck. It's so really? true. It's so true. <laughs> that's sort of it a dec- big one. If you're working for yourself, yeah. sort that shit out early. Put systems yep. in place early mm-hmm. and it'll just like make your life so much more chill. Without getting um, into in terms like, of like yeah, 
without getting into too much detail about that, was there any kind of like general things that you could talk about that that made you feel more at ease in in that regard? Oh, splitting up everything I earn into percentages. So like X percentage go f- into a rent account. I had like, you know, I've got six or seven bank accounts and yeah, yep, yep. all in the one thing. And it's like just splitting percentages up so that like, oh, okay, cool. I've got my rent paid for the next six months. I don't mm-hmm. actually have mm-hmm. to worry about that. I can see that in that account that that is, I've got enough to cover that Yeah, yep. over the next six months. Like that sort of takes a fair bit of stress off. Mm-hmm. Just being able to see that, oh, I've put like my super away. I've put, I've got, you know, money in my, tax account so that mm-hmm. when I have to pay that it's not like this huge stress <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's massive yeah, yeah. so like a, fr- a friend of mine told me he was doing that and I was like holy shit that's the best idea ever I'm gonna do it <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like why why didn't I do this already yeah it's, it's like yeah, I'm fucking yeah. 30 and I'm broke like sort your shit out <laughs> like <laughs> that's so good yeah so like being able to sort that out early is like a huge one running mm-hmm. it like a business yep. yeah is, yep. is, a, is a huge one but in yeah. terms of like um, just engineer, engineer producer stuff, like commit, commit early, like trust you, like back yourself. Because like if you're worried about stuff, then the artist is going to be worried about you being worried about stuff. Yeah. So just like point. back yourself. Even if it's bullshit and you don't trust yourself, like just back yourself. You can always record it again. Like if it's a guitar or a vocal or something, mm-hmm. just do it again. Yeah, yeah. Don't read nah. I love it, man. It's so good. And yeah. you've kind of somewhat answered the the final question that I ask everyone, which is oh, do you have yeah. any any <laughs> advice for for anyone that might just be kind of starting out, whether they're a producer, engineer, songwriter, anything like that? Is there any kind of final like main bits of advice like that? Just do it. Yeah. Like I've I've worked with like a lot of people and they're like, Oh, I don't know enough. Like I really want to songwrite for people, but I just don't know about enough. So like, just do it. Like no one knows anything. Like no one has any idea what they're doing. Like back yourself and commit. Like, yeah, just do it. Because like even if you haven't been taught like, you know, like me coming through studio system or going to like SAE or something like that, like someone like the Avalanches, they made all that shit up as they went along. And that's sort of why they sound like they sound Mm -hmm. is because, you know, they use shit the wrong way. Like I remember pulling up a session and being like, what the fuck? fuck have you done <laughs> but it like, sounds keep amazing it, keep it <laughs> yeah and so like you're just not i'm like i'm oh, like you don't touch any of their busing because it's like i don't even know what the fuck you've done here's this yeah, going to this to yeah. this and this and it's just like it's wrong. like it makes my head spin whatever you've done yeah. here but like whether you know what you're doing or not it's just like back yourself in because if almost to the point where like if you know less you're probably going to make something cooler Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you don't yeah. know how to do it the right way. Yeah. I love right it, man. Way. It's, yeah. That's great advice. I th- that's so good. And yeah, you, you're right. When you, you listen back to some of the early stuff, like I say this so often, like there's some drum sounds that I got back, you know, five, 10 years ago that I would never be able to recreate today, but it's got something, totally. it's got something yeah. about it that just feels great. And yeah, emotion, emotion in music a lot of the time comes from when you just go with it. So it's a really, mm. really, really, really great point, man. Because you're really capturing like a, a moment in time and that's sort of whether you're going to love that moment in time five years later is sort of the, the, who cares. Like yeah, exactly. That's, it's like a photograph. It's a, yeah. 
So yeah, it's irrelevant. Good point. Yeah, man. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you um, so much for joining me today. This has no been no probs. Sick. It's been great fun. Um, yeah, it has definitely. Um, do you have any uh, final things that you want to talk about that are coming up in the near future or anything like that or anything um, you want to shout out? Oh, a friend and I just signed a lease on a warehouse and we're building a studio next or like, I don't know, I think we get the keys in two weeks. So, yeah. Unreal. Building Congrats. A later this year. Yeah, it's like a sort of three, four room kind of studio, which will be fun. That'll be nice. That'll be cool. Yeah. Fucking sick. But, um, yeah. Yeah, see how that goes. What? Awesome, man. <laughs> And where can people yeah. find you if they want to look for you? Uh, so I've got a website, which I am pretty sure is aaronDobos.com. Pretty sure. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Instagram, yep. I'm pretty sure is aaron.dobos. Yep. So I think, that, I think I'll, that's right. I'll, I'll have the links in the uh, show notes I haven't actually, anyway for anyone. I haven't, checked my, I haven't updated my website for a while, so I should really do that too. <laughs> well, I was on it before and it's definitely still there. So. Sweet. That's good. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> Lucky it has a direct debit, otherwise it might not be. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yep. Now we love the set and forget as yep. business owners. Yep. Nice one, man. Oh, well, totally. Again, thank you and uh, thanks no to thank you, everyone. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks to everyone uh, that has made it this far through the chat. Um, what really helps us is if you share this podcast around, whether that's directly in a conversation, which we don't always have these days, but either that or a DM um, or on a story or something like that. Any any little bit of uh, a sharing that you can do for this podcast really helps us. And of course, follow and subscribe. Uh, that'll just keep you up to date with any new episode that'll be coming out. Um, but again, thank you. And thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. No problems. Thank you. And uh, we will see you next time on What's That Sound podcast. Thanks for listening to What's That Sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.